The year is 2030. Tensions have been escalating for months between two neighboring countries, stemming from a history of war and occupation. Back in the Pentagon, U.S. officials are closely monitoring the buildup of troops along the shared border, deeply concerned that an outbreak of hostilities could destabilize the whole region. To plan for that possibility, joint force planners across multiple continents log into Joint Planning Services, or JPS, a web platform developed by the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center, or ERDIC. They analyze the country's military, infrastructure, and terrain, as well as dozens of other critical characteristics, and then develop potential courses of action for the U.S. and its allies, all inside the platform. With reports arriving from multiple observers on the ground confirming that hostile units are crossing over the border, the planners make quick updates. Within hours, Department of Defense officials are using JPS to brief the Secretary of Defense on multiple courses of action, facilitating a quick and informed decision by the Secretary. It can take months or years for the Department of Defense to develop strategic and operational plans with people, information, and tools often scattered and stovepiped into silos. ERDIC researchers have been working to develop a digital map-based environment for remote collaboration in near real time, enabling faster and more complete planning to support timely and better informed command decisions. The Joint Planning Services platform allows access to dozens of authoritative live data feeds with integrated tools to process and analyze data and meaningful ways to visualize the results. It also enables seamless coordination across echelons, organizations, and war fighting functions. Ultimately, the capability will accelerate decision-making and improve our ability to win future wars in a rapidly changing world. I'm Chris Kiefer, and with Megan Holland, this is The Power of Erdic. Our guest today is Reggie Hammond, Program Manager for Erdic's Joint Planning Services. Reggie is based at Erdic's Geospatial Research Laboratory in Alexandria, Virginia. We will talk with Reggie about how Erdic is providing new digital tools that enable, accelerate, and enhance joint and operational planning by collaborative teams. Reggie, welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Reggie, I want to start with a basic overview. So can you tell us a little bit about the Joint Planning Services Research Program and how it's revolutionizing military planning? Sure. First, I think it's important to kind of understand how military planning is conducted today. Within that process, there's some steps that planners go through. Receiving guidance, strategic guidance, whether that's from policy at the joint staff or OSD level, or whether that's from their own commander. And then they go into the mission analysis phase. Planners really get into the research and start developing those products. And those products become the impetus to how the commander gets briefed so that decisions can be made and further planning can be conducted. Mm -hmm. And then we step into the course of action phase. So we develop courses of action or options. We analyze them. We compare them. And then we get down to selection. And once a course of action is selected, then some detailed plan development takes place. Well, all of this work gets done today using the same tools that everybody within the Department of Defense and corporate America uses, predominantly Microsoft Office. 
So if you think about it, we use Excel spreadsheets to display phasing constructs, phasing timelines, sync matrices, decision matrices. We use PowerPoint to create briefs that go to commanders that will lead to decisions. We use Outlook and SharePoint as our predominant way of collaborating with each other, sending files back and forth. And then we actually record the written plan using Microsoft Word or sometimes PDF. Mm -hmm. What we've done in developing joint planning services is a way to get away from this product that, again, was built in many different ways to help out corporate America and and, uh, most of the things that we do in our daily lives. But it was not optimized for planners. It wasn't built with planners in mind. So there's there are some shortcomings, and I'll talk to those uh, in futures. But just to think about a couple of them are uh, the lack of access to authoritative data, sometimes version control, and then basically being able to update the information on a recurring basis and get to the, our concept of a of a living plan. So Reggie, in terms of joint planning services, how did this effort get started? Strangely enough, this all began back in 2009 under a a joint capabilities technology demonstration, Hmm. or JCTD, as called Common Ground. Back then, it was run by a a team out of the Geospatial Research Lab, and it focused on essentially bringing the map out of the background, off of the wall, and into a planning environment. It used a suite of Esri geospatial analytic products combined with an extensible interoperable C2 server. And it combined these things. It was to create the first truly digital operations order. And then it's informed by authoritative data and uses geospatial decision support tools. So fast forward 13 years and JPS is continuing that revolution by leveraging advanced analytical tools and consuming authoritative data from all your different functional areas, whether it's intelligence, logistics, and operational sources, and it feeds that suite of what we call geospatially enabled collaborative digital products. Why does this matter? So if you think about the planning process that I laid out earlier, that's enormous in scope and time. Mm-hmm. There are dozens of contingencies or scenarios that are being planned at any one time. But if you think about it, each one of those plans has probably dozens of sometimes hundreds of planners across multiple organizations, all trying to collaborate on their piece of that plan. Those plans typically involve the movement, the sustainment of thousands of forces. And since we're talking usually about scenarios outside of the continental United States traveling far distances to get there. Mm -hmm. If you think about it, that sort of planning, because it requires so many resources, that stuff takes a lot of time. And that's why why I say that that collaboration piece that we talked about when we talked about the, the shortcomings of using Excel or SharePoint, one of the things is if you're reliant on your fellow planners to email you the correct version of a document, and then you're supposed to review it, provide feedback. As we all know, version control mm-hmm. is very difficult to maintain within this environment. What we're talking about here is now having an environment where all planners can view and see that information all in the same space. 
So it kind of really shrinks that collaboration piece. Uh, it takes care of version control and really streamlines the timeline and brings back or allows those planners to get back some of their time to do more rigorous analysis. So now, not only is it faster, but the quality of information being conveyed, the analysis is a lot more rigorous. Yeah, and, and it can be updated a lot easier too, right? And the information that you're working with is a lot more up to date. That's correct. Um, and I think the, the last point that I would like to kind of mention here, and so whereas we kind of supplanted Microsoft Office as the central way of doing planning, we do allow for all of those types of products to be included within our environment. I can have PowerPoint, Excel, Word documents that are supporting documents to the planning effort. I can bring those in to house those within the environment, no problem. To summarize this, the enhancements that we bring to the planning process, what that translates to is shrinking the timelines for planning, increasing the rigor of analysis that goes in. And what that translates to is better information for senior leaders to make decisions. And if you think about that, you translate that up and that's saving dollars and saving lives. So we think that we are doing very, very important work, not just within the Army, but within the entire Department of Defense. We talked a little bit ago about how this effort got started, but I understand from previous conversations with you that a lot of this kind of really took off during the Iraq war in terms of there was this growing momentum towards kind of revolutionizing the way we do planning. And that kind of led to this current program. Is that right? So if you go back 20 years, when we were in the run up to the invasion of Iraq, we had a war plan at the time. We had a complete war plan that was devised, planned and written over a series of months, if not years. That plan number was called 1003 Victor. When 1003 Victor was presented to the Secretary of Defense back in late 2001, the Secretary was unimpressed by the lack of options that were available to him at the time. And so, so it was really presented as, this is the plan. This is the one option that you have. And the Secretary didn't like it. And so mm -hmm. he made him go back to the drawing board. And because our process at the time was so lengthy in time to just build one course of action to plan for. We didn't have the technology, we didn't have the wherewithal, we didn't have the time and resources to develop multiple contingencies on that one uh, scenario. And the secretary at the time said, that's unacceptable. We need a mechanism in place to streamline that process. So therefore, it's not just policies that have to be changed, but we have to build better tools that allow our planners to do that planning uh, better and faster. Yeah. And that's where I kind of come into the picture. I'm a retired naval officer, helicopter pilot by trade, but my last four years in uniform were sitting on the joint staff as part of the Joint Operational War Plans Division. And my title was Adaptive Planning Branch Chief. Hmm. So I, I was in charge of the Adaptive Planning Initiative, which at the time was Secretary Rumsfeld's initiative to transform the way we plan and execute joint operations. So I've been working this since 2007. I retired in 2011. Uh, I went to work for a defense contractor for eight years and stayed within this realm working uh, for various clients like the Defense Information Systems Agency, also worked for the Office of Secretary of Defense for Acquisition, Technology, and Logistics, 
specifically for the director of command and control programs. And so I've been working this issue in multiple levels. And then my last four years as a contractor, I was back supporting my old branch and my old division. And then I was uh, asked to come onto this program three years ago. And I've been the PM for the last two years. So you obviously, as you mentioned, bring a wealth of experience to this program. How has that kind of helped you in what you brought specifically to the Joint Planning Services Program? Like I said, I've worked at multiple levels on this problem, from the highest levels in the Office of Secretary of Defense down to the kind of the worker bees, the guys that are building the tools that are directed from on high. I've written requirements at the joint level, and I've probably interfaced with every single uh, joint actor that we have. And I've spent time at planning conferences, seeing what the problems are at the combat commands. What are the things that are um, keeping them from getting the the plans out quicker and, and better? In that mind, I have a real good sense of what the problem is. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that in my 15 years of experience, also that most of the effort today is still being focused there on the far right-hand side of the planning process where we're talking about transportation. How do we deploy the troops? And how do we, what's the feasibility so that we can get to an execution solution? Whereas no effort, hardly at all, is being put on the left side of that equation. And so what our space is, is we are filling that, that huge gap from receiving strategic guidance to developing the plan Then we can hand that off to the other tools that do transportation and feasibility and those kinds of things and go to execution. That's kind of what we're facilitating. For people who aren't familiar, you you talk about the left side of the plan and explain what you mean by that. So the bulk of that is that research phase. When we talk about mission analysis and course of action, development analysis and selection, there's quite a lot of what-if analysis being done, research being conducted. And that's kind of one of the biggest things that we do is we go out and we make connections to authoritative data sources that are relevant to planners and bring them into the space. And again, because we have a collaborative environment where all planners that have permissions to that plan can see all the information in one place that streamlines that process and and it keeps planners from duplicating research efforts and in some cases actually finding two different sources and coming up with different answers as they're bringing their information back into the center. So if you think about it, the main audience for our tool is the planning staff. Well, that planning staff also has functional areas that need to go off and and do some of their analysis. Think of logistics, think of intelligence, think Mm -hmm. of fires. Well, if we brought them all into the same space and you can see what everybody else is doing, that streamlines things immensely. And I think that's kind of one of the unique aspects that we bring to the fight. Why is the Army Corps of Engineers developing this capability? Um, As I talked about earlier in that early project of Common Ground, what that did is that basically the team that started that effort became an expert, became an expert in the... uh, that commercial software, that commercial software is called Citaware Headquarters, and it's developed by a company called Systematic Inc. And strangely enough, five, six years ago, the Army decided to buy an enterprise license for that commercial software and have it be the foundation of its whole modernization project to modernize command and control systems. And the centerpiece 
that effort is called the command post computing environment. And the uh, mission command information systems, the software that runs on CPCE is built on top of this commercial product. Well, as I said, this team has been working this stuff for 13 years. So we have a lot of expertise in that product. And so we have come almost become the de facto experts within the Army for developing any kind of plugins or any kind of capabilities that you can attach to that. Because of that, PM Mission Command is the acquisition component within the Army that basically runs CPCE, and they're our transition partner. So everything that we develop within house and, and deploy on our, our own instantiation called Joint Planning Services. Well, those capabilities ultimately transition into the program of record called CPCE. Reggie, how many others are in this space and what is unique about Erdic Solutions Joint Planning Services platform that you all have developed? So again, my experience from working this for many years, I can safely say that we're the only ones uh, in this specific space. Mm-hmm. And what I'm talking about is, is building that planning environment from which that you could take that information and plug it into the various systems that do other things such as transportation feasibility analysis, war gaming, those kinds of things. This is the place where planners can go to kind of build those products, build those plans, and then ship it out to the systems that already are very well, well entrenched within the Department of Defense. So nobody else is doing that. The joint community uh, had been looking at this project, and that was kind of what I was doing uh, when I left the joint staff, is that the joint staff was really looking at this as a potential joint solution through fits and starts with the budgeting process. Uh, We just never got a real strong foothold in that. But other than this project, uh, the joint staff hadn't been looking at anything else in this space, and uh, none of the other services are even close to developing these kinds of capabilities. So from my standpoint, it makes sense that uh, one of the things that we could do and that one of the things that we're trying to do is to take this army program and spin it out into something bigger than it is and, and hopefully, you know, solve a joint problem. Yeah. A big part of this tool is that it provides access to dozens of authoritative data feeds. Can you paint us a general picture of some of the types of data that are available yeah, so there's um, I, I kind of divide those uh, categories of data into three different ones. The first one is those kind of live data feeds. Think about any kind of blue force tracker, whether it's ground, air, or sea vessels. Those are very applicable in a tactical environment when you need to know what the battlefield looks like right now, when you're not as worried about how things are moving on the map today, but you're really interested in how what the environment looks like in those regions that you're planning for. So that second category is where we can get data from another source, from an authoritative source, through um, a thing called an application programming interface or an API. It brings uh, that information in machine to machine. We build a data handler. We build a data connector. We go reach out to a server, a website, somewhere. We pull that data in and display it as is in our environment. Typical things that run on APIs, the data that we bring in, all of our maps. We get all of our maps from NGA, the National Geospatial Intelligence Agency. As updates happen with the maps, it refreshes our the user interface. So I think I told you I was a uh, retired helicopter pilot. Yeah. And if you could think about it, when I'm flying around and using maps, 
those things have to be updated. I need to know that there's a tower that's 1,700 meters on my route because I'm, I'm going to need to fly over it. Similarly, if we're talking about readiness levels, so we do have a connection with the Defense Readiness Reporting System. If we're looking at an icon that we've created on the map that it is tied to a specific unit, we can click on that icon and it automatically populates the readiness information in there for the user to look at. We also bring in data from the service organization servers, which brings in all of the force structure, not just for the Army, but for all the, all the other services. Yes, as Army planners, we're very interested in Army things, but we typically are planning at these levels that are communicating with the joint community. And so therefore, we need to also understand how the other services are playing within our space. And then that last category of data is where we're bringing in flat files. And what I mean by a flat file is this is a list of all of the airports around the world, but it's in an Excel spreadsheet. That is interesting, not compelling for somebody who's a visual learner like myself. So if I wanted to be able to depict that information on the map, I have to bring that in. I have to manually manipulate it into something that I can ingest and then populate it as icons on the map. It's time intensive for us, a lot of manual manipulation. And because of that, as soon as we do all that work and display it, that information is immediately stale. We have no idea you know, until we do the next update as to how relevant that data is. Whereas if you have a direct connection, you know that that information is as up-to-date as the authoritative source itself. Yeah, and then the other piece of this, of course, you're at the Geospatial Research Laboratory. So, you know, it's all this information, but at its very core, this is also a map-based tool. Absolutely. If you were to be a user and to get into joint planning services, much like if you were an Army planner to get into the command post computing environment, the first thing you look at is, you know, a screen that's taken up 90% of it with the map. That's where we say planning begins, and that's where information most likely is best to be visualized as geospatially. Mm-hmm. Reggie, how can this tool be used collaboratively? I, I, again, I also understand from talking to you, that's another strength that you all tout is, you know, you can use this to plan up and down echelons. We, we use a permissioning system that allows, and it doesn't really matter whether you've created this plan at a division level, whether you've created it at the combatant command level. If you have planners that you need to collaborate with that are in other organizations or in echelons above or below you, all you need to do is, is just permit them in and you can give them read-only access, or you can give them write privileges. So you can actually have them create products and edit products. But if you think about how planning is done today, where if I'm sitting down at division, which is one level down from the core, and I'm waiting for the core to provide their plan or their order, and I can't do any work until that's been promulgated. Mm -hmm. So until I actually receive that document, whether it's on a written piece of paper or whether it's digitally via a Word document or a PDF document, you know, my planning doesn't start until I've received that. Now, just imagine how much time is saved by being a fly on the wall at that headquarters above you, the echelon above you, and being able to 
get a jump start on your planning because you know you kind of know what's coming up. Yes, it's not the official thing until you've received the official product, but you can sit there and be part of it and you can actually glean a lot of information by just being a fly on the wall and having permissions to that read-only access. That kind of goes both ways and you can allow that access as far down the echelons as you think is appropriate. You know, it's however quickly that you, you want that information to kind of flow. How can the joint forces benefit from this capability? This is joint planning tools. They were called out in the initiative in the the first paper that was written in 2004. Like I said, I was involved in trying to develop some of those capabilities and the joint forces had kind of fits and starts and building things and scrapping those ideas. But this, again, because the planning processes are essentially the same and this has complete applicability at the joint community. So therefore, you know, any kind of help that we can provide, any kind of tools that we can provide to streamline that process at the highest echelons, I think would be very beneficial. And we've, we have noticed in the last year kind of an uptick in interest in our capabilities, not just at the OSD and joint staff level, but even some of the combatant commands. If you think about some of our combatant commands that builds the largest and most onerous of all plans, they would love to streamline some of that time and get some of that time back. Yeah, I mean, on that point, I mean, I guess the strength really lies in just the ability to collaborate across the services and share ideas and and to know what each other's doing, you know, particularly when you're in the midst of an operation. Yes, my experience is that that is a sticking point. Mm -hmm. And I'll I'll give you an example. So uh, back when I was in the Pentagon and, and we're working one of the plans at one of the combatant commands, and we were told at the time that, you know, they had a great SharePoint site where they were able to collaborate within that combatant command, but they couldn't figure out how to provide permission. They couldn't give permissions to somebody else. Mm-hmm. They couldn't even give permissions to their subordinate commands. So again, you had this great SharePoint site, which could have been a great repository for all information for all planners to kind of collapse in on, but it's only relevant to one piece of that. And now all of your stakeholders, all of your other planners that are dependent on that information, you have to email it or provide it on some other server for them to access. Very inefficient. Again, version control becomes almost impossible. How is Erdic uniquely situated to solve this? So I think there's a couple... In addition to the fact that our team is an expert in this space and an expert in the the commercial software that we build capabilities on top of, I think Erdic itself is also uniquely uh, positioned in that there's work across several of the labs that kind of play into the space. And I'll talk about one of them. There's a project out of the environmental lab called the Understand, Understanding the Environment as a Threat. They're looking at chemicals that are located outside of the continental United States because that will then impact the, our ability to move forces within that area. So that kind of information, super important to planners. I understand FEMA also has some interest in this technology. How can this be used on the civil work side? So FEMA has a um, nearly identical problem that the Department of Defense has and that it has to come up with contingency plans for all sorts of natural disasters. And that was actually how we got associated with FEMA, is that my former contacts uh, in the planning staff at Northcom work side by side with a lot of the FEMA planners on working some of these disaster relief scenarios. And they were the ones that mentioned our work to FEMA. And FEMA came out and talked to us a couple of years ago 
we kind of demonstrated our capabilities, they saw the immediate need or that this fulfilled a gap that they've had. They have a huge problem with collaboration, collaboration between FEMA headquarters and the various regional FEMA regions. And each one of those FEMA regions has to work with state and local agencies, and in some cases, non-governmental organizations. And rapidly, I guess, too. Yeah, sure. In the case of a disaster, yeah. Right. So, you know, you don't want to wait until the hurricane hits Puerto Rico before you figured out where all of the communication stations are, before you figured out where all the fuel depots are, before you figure out the road infrastructure, before you figure out all this stuff, you need to, you need to understand your environment. So if you think about it, in that scenario, you're trying to understand the environment from a disaster relief standpoint much the same way a military planner is looking at another region of the world as far as what is the infrastructure, what is the enemy force unit lay down, what, what are their installations, what are they capable of, what kind of weapons do they have. All of that stuff is very similar. It's just different in specifics. But the process is the same. And FEMA is so far behind the Department of Defense in, in their ability to do this kind of collaborative planning, and, and this would accelerate that immensely. Who are some of the partners you're working with in this effort? So I've talked about most of them. So the if you think about our transition partner, the acquisition side, that's PM Mission Command. All of our funding comes from Army Futures Command. Our requirements partners are the folks out of at Leavenworth, Army Component Manager for Mission Command and Command Post, so ACM Mission Command. But as far as the users go, we have quite the eclectic group. First of all, Joint Planning Services resides on both the CIPRNET and on the unclassified side under the Defense Research and Engineering Network, the DREN. So on the unclassified side, our, our biggest stakeholder is the Command and General Staff College. So CGSE typically teaches as part of their curriculum to well over a thousand captains and majors throughout the year. They give them an introduction to the command post computing environment. Because of the the COVID restrictions that we've had over the last couple of years, which have essentially not allowed the students to go into the classroom, they've used joint planning services as a way to access this remotely. They've been a really good feedback for our capabilities. So again, look at joint planning services as what the future of CPCE looks like as far as new capabilities. And if we can develop those capabilities, deploy them on joint planning services, and before we ever transition any capability, we get user feedback at that schoolhouse level. We get feedback up at the CIPRNET with our operational partners at some of the uh, Army component commands like U.S. Army Pacific, U.S. Army Europe, to name a couple. And so we get feedback from real users as to how these tools actually work, and we might tweak them a little bit before we ever transition them. So what does the future hold for this effort? We kicked off our fiscal year 22 development season several months ago. In that, I laid out the vision for the program. So we have two main objectives. One is that we believe that joint planning services is more than just a conduit for capabilities to be developed and to enter into CPCE. The focus for the command post computing environment is very much at the tactical level. And at the tactical level, it's talking about using not just the software, but the server server infrastructure all within a closed network inside of a, a brigade operations center at the echelon of brigade and below. 
most of the capabilities that we develop are strategic and operational in nature and thus tend to be more applicable at echelons above brigade, the division, the core service component, and even up into the joint level. Again, I go back to that there is this huge gap for those tools at the strategic and operational level that could be utilized if it had its own program of record. So one of my goals is for joint planning services to be its own program officially. And when I say program, I talk about an acquisition program, not a science and technology program. It's going to require somebody to run the program that's, that is an acquisition professional, not someone like me. So that it just means a lot more care and feeding. Once that's in place, the ability for it to then take over as a joint solution, we're just that much further down the road to make that a reality. Again, my experience for 12 out of the last 15 years has been strictly in the joint community. This is needed in the joint community. It's bigger than just the Army, so I would like to see that become part of the joint solution. Thanks, Reggie. Like you said, it's something that that can really save lives and save dollars and and have such an impact. So appreciate the work you're doing and, and appreciate you joining us today to talk more about it. Thanks, Reggie. Well, thanks, guys. Erdix Joint Planning Services allow planners, staff, and leaders to collect, process, store, display, and share data in a map-based context to develop situational awareness and make informed decisions in a near real-time environment. New capabilities continue to be developed to support planning from start to finish. This provides our forces with a living plan that gives them the agility and versatility to outpace and outthink adversaries. The Power of Erdic podcast is a production of the U.S. Army Engineer Research and Development Center. Follow Erdic on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for the latest information. You can listen to The Power of Erdic podcast in all major podcast players. Please subscribe and be sure to leave us a five-star review. Visit powerofurticpodcast.org for more resources. You can also contact us at powerofurticpodcast at usace.army.mil. That's all we have time for today. We'll see you next time.